Welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, an integrative health podcast by Center for New Medicine. We created the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast as an extension of our mission to educate and empower individuals along their health journey. This integrative health podcast will bring you in-depth expert interviews on a plethora of health topics. Tune in bi-weekly for interviews on how to create a non-toxic lifestyle, integrative approaches to treating complex health concerns like diabetes, Lyme's, Hashimoto's, Crohn's, adrenal fatigue, mental, emotional, and spiritual health, cancer prevention, early cancer detection, integrative cancer treatments, and so much more. Through the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast, we hope to provide cutting-edge, science-based information you can use to create a happier and healthier life for you and your loved ones. Perfectly Healthy podcast. I'm your host, Leanne Lindsay, and today is an interview with Center for New Medicine's certified nutritionist, Liliana Partida. And today we are talking all about sugar, where we dive into the effects sugar has on the body. And Liliana really helps us get a better understanding that she says it's not good or bad for you, it's just having the right kind of sugar in the right amounts. And so she really helps us understand what is happening physiologically when we eat too much sugar, as well as when we eat different types of sugar, especially refined sugar or synthetic sweeteners and what they are doing to us. And then she really walks us through how we can begin to have a healthier relationship with sugar, create healthier habits and reduce our sugar consumption while still being able to indulge in delicious, satisfying meals, treats, and snacks. As always, be sure to check the show notes or visit this show's webpage where we list all of the resources mentioned. We link to everything, whether it's a product, a book, another interview somewhere. And with Liliana in particular, she has quite a few recipe videos on our Center for New Medicine YouTube channel. So those will, several of those will be linked in the show notes below. With that, enjoy this interview with Liliana Partida. Okay, well, Liliana Partida, welcome to the Be Perfectly Healthy podcast. And since this is your first time on the podcast, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit of an introduction to yourself, your history, your education, and then the role you play here at Center for New Medicine. Okay, well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about these podcasts. It's an opportunity to get some information out to our patients that's invaluable because when we have the information, it gives us the power to choose. And so that's what I do here is I offer the patients an opportunity to look at their lifestyle in the more dynamic way. Oftentimes, uh, our patients will come here for the simplicity of just, you know, dealing with sleep issues or stress issues. But of course, you know, we have a multifaceted uh, 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 
medical center here where we deal with cancer patients as well as, you know, for anti-aging, uh, from A to Z, really. So my intention is, as a nutritionist is just really to meet them where they're at and what they're willing to do in regards to creating a more functional lifestyle for them. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, it's going to deal with everything from the way they, what they put in their mouth, uh, what how they love, how they exercise, how they sleep. So it's um, an opportunity for, you know, just to really create a wonderful baseline um, in terms of their lifestyle. I also do emotional work here as well. Mm -hmm. And when I, uh, and it's interesting because uh, dealing with nutrition, it's very emotional, right? Yeah. We have a lot of cravings and why do we have cravings? And it's because we are emotional creatures that are all about sensation. And so, you know, in a, in a nutritional uh, session, I might go into to a lot of psychology because in honesty, it's really getting the patient to have a real understanding, not only of the chemistry of the dynamics of food, of the emotional aspect. So I'm, as a nutritionist, you know, I'm gonna be dealing with the whole person on a holistic level. And we also love, you always do these really fun recipe videos, lots of keto recipes that are up on the YouTube site. I'll make sure I link to those too. But and we've got I think we've got some fun ones coming up for Halloween, Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, I'm very passionate about uh, food, obviously. And it's interesting because when I'm talking to patients, you know, I'm talking about beautiful this and delicious that. Like, oh, my gosh, you're making me hungry. But it's inspiring within them the desire. And, you know, I would say I'd be the first to say I look forward to eating. It's something that, um, you know, if I have a great lunch that I'm made to come to work with, that's something that I can say, oh, great, I can't wait to eat my lunch. So I try to get people to have that same kind of, you know, if they don't have passion for cooking, then let's just say make one new meal a week. And then by the end of the month, you've got four meals, which is great. And of course, I have a YouTube channel uh, for a cooking show, as well as I give out all kinds of different other websites that I find are very easy recipes, but also, you know, with the type of, um, you know, dietary plan that we recommend here. And so for most of my patients, I have them on a very low sugar diet, uh, because in face it in reality you know sugar is very toxic over and above what the body actually needs and you know we here as americans are consuming over 300 percent more sugar than our ancestors mm. did so we've got one of the highest uh, obesity and diabetic rates in the world hmm. as a first world country you know as one of the leading countries in the world which is just absurd yes no it's horrible you know think about it this way we go uh, in, in the underdeveloped countries it goes uh China, India, United States. In the developed country, it goes United States and then Singapore. I mean, Mexico used to be below us, right? Mm. Or they were like kind of neck and neck with us because we introduced Frito-Lays and Coca-Cola to them. But uh, now, you know, the United States is just right up there. And actually, Mexico's dropped down a few as well. Mm -hmm. So it's unfortunate because, you know, we are the most it, technology advanced, so much science here. And it doesn't make sense that we should, I think it's like, you know, 43rd in the, in the world in terms of our level of health mm -hmm. here. So there's no excuse for that. Yeah. When today we're really going to be diving into sugar, what it really does to the body. Many people know right off the bat, too much sugar is bad for me. We sort of have that drilled into our brains, but it's a little more nuanced than just sugar is bad. Um, and I would re really love for you to break down what is it 
about sugar that's so bad for us? How much really is too much? Are the guidelines they're giving us really accurate or should we be eating far less than that? Well, so it's not that it's bad for the body, Liang, because actually it's the per preferred fuel for the brain and it's easy access for metabolic function. What is bad is the overload principle, as okay. you were saying, you know, you know, we are all about the, you know, the bigger size, you know, supersize me. And so we indulge. And because it is one of these uh, flavors that enhances the brain for more pleasure, then of course, we as humans, we're always seeking out pleasure. And so it's, uh, it's not that it's bad. And so when we think about sugar, most people think about sugar in the way of candies and cookies and treats and things of that nature. But when I break it down the, to them and get them to understand that a banana is 27 grams of sugar equal to that, let's just say, that cookie that they just ate. And so, again, they don't even recognize or even think that something like a vegetable would be considered a sugar. Mm -hmm. So anything that is a carbohydrate or anything from the plant kingdom is a glucose component. Um, and so we have fructose and glucose in what we would call fruits and vegetables. And the beauty about these things is they have a lot of fiber in them with a lot of nutrients and enzymes and, and, and minerals and water in them. So they're actually very uh, they're, um, utilized very well in the body's metabolism. But things like refined sugar or processed mm. foods, they are not utilized at all. And so unfortunately, we live in a time where everybody doesn't have enough time. So what do they do? They eat more packaged foods. They eat more fast foods. And so these foods are laden with sugar, unseen sugar. I mean, even hamburger meat has sugar in it when you go to these fast food restaurants. And it's meant there to addict that uh, you know, customer to come back and come back uh, to have their foods because their brain starts to literally create an addiction towards it. So it's not the sugars that are what we would consider in their natural state that are bad for you. It is those sugars that are processed, the body doesn't know how to utilize it. I mean, and in reality, when we think about it, we should have no more than like, let's just say uh, uh, 14, 15, 16 grams of what we would consider table kind of sugar, whether we're putting it, having a drink of something uh, uh, that is an orange juice or we should have, um, let's just say even some sugar in our coffee. Mm -hmm. And so again, you know, as I said before, we have 300% uh, more uh, consumption of glucose than we did, you know, 100 years ago. And so our ancestors, they didn't have, uh, of course they understood with that sweet uh, in, in terms of energy mindset, but they didn't have it available to them. So they weren't addicts like how mm -hmm. we are today because it's, you can 24 seven, you can find anything, right? You can have it Ubered or you can <laughs> have yeah. it Federal Express right to your home in two seconds. And so um, sugar is important, but we wanna have the right kind of sugar. And unfortunately, um, you know, people can live off of candy bars and protein bars and chips and crackers and cheese. And so what does the body do with all the excess that it can't use me metabolically? It starts to sh store it in its garage cells, which happen to be your fat cells. Mm -hmm. And then when the fat cells are full, it starts to drop it down into the liver. And then all of a sudden now we have, um, you know, excessive cholesterol, which is a not good cholesterol. Your triglyceride levels go up. So again, the body doesn't know how to do with pro don't, doesn't know what to do with this processed sugar, so it will store it in areas that are not desirable areas, mm -hmm. and then of course, which leads us back to you know the highest rate of diabetes you know in the world. Yeah, that's just so hard to wrap my head around. So let's get into some of the specifics of what it's doing because I know sugar can release dopamine in the brain, which is why it's mm -hmm. so highly addictive 
blood sugar levels going up and down all day, which can lead to anxiety. Can we get into those a little bit and break sure. it down? So when you eat something that's of carbohydrate nature, and just understand carbohydrate means anything from the plant kingdom. So when you're looking at a label even, and it says total carbohydrates, um, and it says no sugar added, total carbohydrates means that when it breaks, when you eat it and it breaks down to glucose, um, your body, what happens when you eat a carbohydrate? You ingest it. Okay, the digestive enzyme in your stomach break it down and then it ends up in your bloodstream. Now it ends up in your bloodstream, the body's got to move it to the areas where it's going to be stored, which is in the muscles and then anything extra is going to go to the liver. And so this is done by way of what we called insulin. So if you think of insulin mm -hmm. as a vehicle and your calories as the passenger, they enter the cell wall, they go to the muscles, anything in excess goes to the liver and then the liver will break it down again into glucose. Even if you eat too much protein, your body can actually convert it into uh, glycogen, which is a stored sugar for the fuel that we need when we are, you know, between our meals and so forth, or while we're sleeping and repairing or detoxifying. And so the body will take in what it what, what it utilize what could it can utilize for metabolic function, and the rest will be stored. Mm. Now, unfortunately, when you've got excess of cholesterol, and then you end up with a fatty liver because the liver starts to, you know, if it has to be if the fat cells are full, then the liver's got to take it, and that's what we call a non-alcoholic fatty liver. It's where it actually stores it. Can really you can call, cause cirrhosis of the liver with this, and so again, it's not just for people who drink alcohol. We see it all the time with our patients. You know, mm -hmm. a thin patient even too, uh, with a uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver, and also too, what it does. Uh, it, you were talking about the dopamine and the serotonin release when you eat those carbohydrates. Again, because now just remember the body is equipped for that glucose to give you energy, and so it does increase uh, a couple of neurotransmitters that are what we call mood enhancing. And so again, it I do equate it to, uh, let's just say, any kind of opiate, like let's just say heroin or cocaine, for example. If you had actually look at a, at a, at a, a, an image of a diabetic brain and a uh, cocaine brain, they look exactly the same. So it causes inflammation to the blood vessels, wow. uh, which of course, you know, we call uh, dementia and Alzheimer's disease type three diabetes, mm. okay, and the constriction. And then when you eat these sugars, it creates what's called a um, inflammatory cytokine to the body. And this is why for our patients that are, have, are immune deprived, whether it's autoimmune issue or whether it is cancer, you know, we really really uh, focus on inflammation and reduce their glucose level down as much as possible uh, because it can be very toxic to the body. And then because it is stimulating these uh, dopamine pathways, the body becomes just like heroin, like any kind of, uh, of, of an opiate, it becomes very addicted to it. And then just like any other drug, the more you have, the more you need and, you know, mm -hmm. to, like, to get your high, you know, to get that kind of energy up, right? Yeah, you know, and even with stevia, for example, which is you know, uh, a, in my opinion, considered uh, the safest type of a, of a sweetener because it's natural, it's not processed. Is that you know, you start out with two or three drops, and the next thing you know, you know, five months later, you're at five or six drops, right? Mm -hmm. And so, anytime you're giving the body empty calories, it's going to be looking for you know those calories, and this is why. I always steer people away from any kind of aspartame, NutraSweet, Neotame, anything, you know, with uh, 
that it's an artificial sweetener. Um, those are horrible because, again, um, it really addicts the brain for that sweetness, and then all of a sudden the uh, the taste buds can't even taste the sweet, and so you need more and more of this, which, again, you know, uh, even though it's FDA-approved, saccharin and aspartame and things of that nature, I, I think a lot of the studies, when you look at them, you know, they're really not complete studies. And then, of course, you know, anything they do want passed gets passed, regardless whether they realize that, you know, that the rats that they were giving to got brain tumors and all of these other uh, disease, you know, cancer, the carcinogen, mm -hmm. right? I think they should reevaluate those studies. Um, but I, I recommend to all my patients, no diet anything, no diet Coke, no diet candy, no diet this. And, and actually, because of those empty calories that the body is getting, the brain is searching for them. So you actually want to eat more. You want to eat more food. So in all reality, I think anything that's diet oriented, uh, diet oriented is contraindicative because it actually makes you eat more and gain more weight. The first thing I tell my patients is I say, okay, you know, they were, why am I having diet this and diet that? I go, well, you know, I think that's the first thing we need to get off because that's what can cause metabolic syndrome mm. very, very, very quickly. Wow. Wow. So yeah, can we break down some of the different types of sugar and you touched on it a little bit we know you can get sugar just naturally from fruit in its natural form yeah. but then we also have things like honey and maple syrup and then the really refined sugars and then all of these synthetic sweeteners and I think it would be helpful for people to differentiate because we do very much just say sugar right and then that kind of encompasses everything but what we've gathered already a little bit is that each one can have very different effects in the body Yes, absolutely. Well, okay, so the fructose and the sucrose are of natural nature, and they're going to have a lot of fiber in them with your fruits and vegetables, so it's going to move very slowly into the bloodstream, which is great. That's what you want. You want long-lasting energy. And then when you get into the refined sugars, because there is no fibers, it's like, I always tell my patients, it's like putting a hypodermic needle right in your arm with it, you know, just that infusion of sugar immediate reaction. This is why people feel good and right away they start to feel like they've got a little bit more energy, bring them up, bring them down kind of mindset. Those are the sugars that we want them to stay away from as much as possible. And then people will say, well, honey and, and maple syrup, they're so natural. And I say there are, in fact, they have medicinal properties to them. It's just that they also have 17 carbohydrates per tablespoon which for a lot of our patients especially if they have cancer they're only allowed 12 to 14 carbohydrates per meal so if you want to have a piece of chicken and a tablespoon of, of, of honey then fine it's a chemistry but I don't think people are going to be satisfied in terms of satiation because I don't know about you but I want to see my plate full right mm -hmm. visually I want to have that stimulation that I'm going to be full uh, rather than you know having uh, small amounts of things that end up into a lot of sugar so in all honesty I don't recommend honey or maple syrup or barley syrup or brown rice syrup uh, or uh, you know I say okay if you're going to use it use very little of it like I like manuka honey like if you've got a sore throat or you're trying to use it on a medicinal or ayurvedically then that would be okay but use it as a medicinal don't use it as you know a spoonful mm -hmm. here a spoonful there uh, because of course it adds up very very quickly yeah because especially I'm thinking too so many people re in baking they replace you know, refined white sugar with honey, which, you know, makes us feel a little bit better. But as you said, it is still so much sugar. And correct me if I'm wrong. So does the honey and the maple syrups, they don't have that good fiber that will help it be digested slowly? No, they don't. That okay. will only be in the actual solid 
you know fruit itself okay. but you know so what i always say is nature hates a void and so if we're going to take honey out then what are we going to put in as a liquid type of a syrup um, i like a product called agave five and it's got to have the word five onto it okay. but one teaspoon of that is only one carbohydrate so i mean that's great so if i want to make like a, a syrup to go over some keto pancakes i can put butter and, and agave five in there and have you know just a lovely syrup they have lakanto makes a wonderful maple syrup uh, and made out of monk fruit Mm. And that's got six carbohydrates per tablespoon rather than 17 that a regular maple syrup would have. So I like to use as replacements agave five for the liquid. I like to use stevia uh, as a replacement for sweetener and also monk fruit are my favorite. Um, a lot of people have issues with xylitol. They can give them a purging agent in the GI system. So um, I don't, you know, I, I, they can have it. It's perfectly fine alcohol sugar. Um, the one alcohol sugar that I say absolutely no to is malitol because it very quickly raises you up on the glycemic index and so um, I tell them no on that one, on the alcohol sugar. And then, of course, we don't want to have corn syrup, which is absolutely the worst that you could possibly get. And so, um, you know, a lot of things are made with corn syrup. Every time you look at the package of uh, something that's processed, it's got high fructose in there. Mm -hmm. And so that is extremely detrimental. And then again, you know, we're talking about, you know, metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome, you know, is high cholesterol, it's high blood pressure, and it is high uh, um, a body fat. And so, again, this is what sugar does. It, you know, if we're not careful, we're very easily, um, you know, steered down the road of metabolic syndrome. And then you start to get the belly weight. And, and then, of course, that belly weight's not that easy to get off, right? If you have what we would consider insulin resistance, the body's not allowing your body to even use uh, the food that you are using because you've overexposed it and now created, um, you know, a condition. So I say it's a lot easier to treat uh, a prevention mindset that mm -hmm. it is after we've already there. It makes it a lot difficult because you've got to heal those uh, islets, the cells that allow the glucose to enter the cell wall. And then when people are eating too much sugar, their poor pancreas has to work so hard. You know, every time you eat uh, a carbohydrate uh, or every time you eat food in general, but especially, you know, in the carbohydrates, the body is just gauging how much sugar is in the bloodstream for how much insulin it's got to utilize as a vehicle. Well, you do this time and time again and over abuse it, then that pancreas is going to start, you know, getting tired and not working as well as it should. And then you get into a type two diabetic situation. Mm -hmm. Type 1 diabetes, that is, you know, oftentimes it's the body attacking uh, the pancreas, right? A lot of times children are born with it or they have an onset of a virus that attacks the pancreas, very, very delicate uh, little organ, uh, endocrine organ. And so uh, even with my patients that have, are on uh, insulin uh, that are type 1 diabetics, I've managed, you know, just with the lifestyle change uh, to really get their, their, their insulin levels down to the lowest degree so that they can, you know, function much better without having to do uh, so much insulin injections throughout the day, uh, which makes it great because unfortunately, uh, that exposure to the brain gives you very foggy thinking, uh, loss of memory. And so I always tell my patients, um, you know, if we don't want to go down the road of Alzheimer's and losing our memory, which is so precious, mm -hmm. let's get off the sugar. You know, let's just get to what the body can utilize in terms of its energy source, but nothing extra. Why do we need it? We don't need to store it as weight gain, uh, nor we need to uh, create a metabolic syndrome issue and well one we have an interview on the podcast with dr roni going all over diabetes so i'll definitely make sure we link that below because that was a great segue into that but also i know too that 
so many people who have many symptoms of anxiety or stress or panic attacks, often it's false anxiety. It's induced because their blood sugar is going up and then it's dropping and then it's going up and then it's dropping and it's creating this sense of panic within the body. And so I've read and heard from different holistic psychiatrists saying that they've helped so many of their patients get rid of their panic attacks and much of their stress and anxiety just by helping them maintain stable blood sugar levels. So it's kind of funny because it's like what came first, the egg or the chicken, right? Because when you have stress, what is the automatic response? The automatic response is, oh, I'm in a flight and fright response. I need energy. So the body starts to dump sugar out of its muscles, right, for that instant energy. But no, you're just sitting at your desk trying to get your job done. You know, you're just, you know, you got you got an hour's worth of work and you will have 15 minutes to do it in. And so that what happens is the body uh, creates a stress hormone called cortisol and then cortisol asks for energy so all of a sudden now the body starts dumping glucose into the bloodstream well now you have you're not moving it you're not running you're not fleeing you're not fighting so what is the body going to do with this you know Mm. now extra kind of anxious hormone that's in there that says like it's a horse wanting to you know go into a race it's still in its you know its gait and so what happens is that cortisol literally can neutralize insulin if left unchecked. And this is why I tell my patients that who have anxiety, the best thing to do is movement. Go and exercise. Go for a walk. Do some rebounding to try to move that energy out of oh, you. Wow. And so, uh, you know, it's like what came first. And so, you know, we really, even with my patients who, you know, have diabetic issues, I always work them with them with stress management. You know, I'll have a patient that comes in and they won't have that. Uh, they won't have... Uh, um, uh, a bad diet, they'll exercise really well, but yet they have diabetes. And then, so the first thing I say is, well, I'm looking at the way you live, you exercise, you're eating great, you know, pretty good. And, um, and you've got, you know, your hemoglobin A1C, and that's a measure of how much sugar's in your blood over a three month period in a diabetic range. And they're like, I know, I can't even believe it. And I then, so the first, next thing I say is, you know, how's your stress level? And they say, oh my gosh, it's astronomical. And so that in and of itself can create a diabetic state wow. just with stress itself. You can have a perfect diet and exercise and be you know, a person who is maladapted to their environment, uh, overworked, not sleeping well, and then end up uh, as a diabetic as well. And so yes, the first thing we do is try to stabilize their diet because if, when you have this kind of... Um, cortisol that's being released and your body's dumping sugars well then after the event is over you finally come down what is the first thing your body wants to do replace the sugar and this is when you go home you need to have your glass of wine because you've been stressed all day and then you start to eat the chips and the crackers and the salty things because your adrenals are looking for that salt but they're also looking for that carbohydrates to replace that got dumped in the bloodstream because you said hey we need to run we need to fight we need to flee right mm-hmm. and in all reality um you know the body is just listening to the signals that you're giving from you know your response to the outside world yeah so what do you recommend to someone who's like great i i get all the science behind this i want to start cutting back on sugar what are some of the steps they can take especially in this just sugar filled world where (laughs) everything has sugar in it as you said yeah well the first thing i do is teach them the science of food so you know we start out saying okay there's 
there's what we would consider low sugar foods from the plant kingdom and high sugar foods. They're not good. They're not bad because honestly, there's so many wonderful foods in high sugar food. It's just that if we're trying to correct a diabetic issue, we're trying to, you know, deal with weight gain, we're trying to deal with cancer issues of that nature and or candida, for example, uh, we need to have their glucose at the lowest amount. And so what I do is I say, let's divide those foods into two categories, uh, superior, low sugar food and inferior high sugar food and um and then if you i tell them if you have 10 players on a, on, a, on a sports team let's say nine players have to come from the superior side and one player can come from the inferior side and then i say okay well how do we break it down even further so even a kindergartner can understand this and so they say the low sugar fight uh the low sugar side has two characteristics. One, when you put it in your mouth, it's not sweet, okay? And also two, when you cook it, it excretes water, so it shrinks. So let's just say, for example, all your cruciferous vegetables, right? Your broccoli, your cabbage, your Brussels sprouts, things like asparagus and, and artichokes and all your lettuces and cucumbers and green beans and zucchinis, they're nothing sweet about those foods, okay? So they're considered very, very low sugar. And also, too, you'll notice that when you put, let's just say you roast some vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower and asparagus and Brussels sprouts, a little olive oil, salt, throw them in the oven. Well, you got a full tray going in, but when you take it out, it's mm -hmm. a half a tray. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it excreted liquid. So I tell my patients, if it shrinks, it's going to shrink your problem. And it's going to shrink your waistline. Okay. okay. And they love that. That's simple. Okay. And then, and I say, okay, and over here on the high sugar foods, these aren't bad, but what they are are three times higher that sugar than the superior foods. So for example, the characteristics of these foods are completely the opposite. Instead of being bitter, they're sweet. Instead of excreting water, they're stubborn and they don't release anything. They just stay the same. And then the most offensive with the most amount of sugar if we would say we're strictly talking about sugar, are those foods that get bigger and expand. So for example, sweet foods in the vegetable kingdom are your carrots and your beets and your corn and your peas and your butternut squash. Those foods are fabulous, right? And so we say, okay, let's keep some and then let's Let's bench the other ones. They don't get to play for the season if we're talking about sports, okay? So for example, uh, carrots with their beta carotene, fantastic. Beets with their nitric oxide. Butternut squash to replace your yam. And then uh, spaghetti squash to replace a texture of a pasta for you. And so my patients are okay with that, okay? Because we're still giving them the sensation of texture and also taste. Then I say, but now let's look at potato, uh, a, a, a normal medium size. I'm not talking a little teeny, you know, potato or little red potato. I'm talking about a normal, uh, you know, potato, a sweet potato, Yukon potato, white potato. Uh, it's going to have about 45 carbohydrates per one potato. And oftentimes, uh, you know, uh, I only give my patients 45 for the whole day in mm. regards to treatment right and so it just doesn't fit in as a food that you could uh, eat and be full on you can have a couple I mean literally one-fifth cup of sweet potato is nine grams of sugar right and if they're only allowed 14 you know or 18 per meal then it goes right you know you're, yeah. you're you're still hungry and so um and then uh so so I say we're gonna bench uh, potatoes, but we'll keep the others in and we're going to bench corn for the genetic modification of it. And then we say, okay, the ones that have the most amount of sugar in them, and until we actually uh, uh, work on the 
uh, reaching our goal to some degree as far as our labs and getting you out of the you know the the red zone in terms of your blood sugar um, I asked them if they would entertain the ideas to take grains out of their diet and um, mm. and of course you know that includes quinoa and brown rice and white rice and you know blooming jasmine rice and pastas of you know, all kinds um, because you know think about it they do provide you good fiber they do provide you with uh you know some uh, the opportunity to make good b vitamins in the gut but again they don't have minerals in them they don't have enzymes in them and so again they're inferior to the superior and they have uh, enzymes that don't digest very well called phytic acid which can uh, create inflammation to the gut and they also have a lot of lectins so if anybody's you know read any of uh, gundry's work mm -hmm. you know they, they they realize that lectins for people who are sensitive and a especially who have GI issues or immunity issues can cause inflammation again. And so since your gut is really, uh, you know, um, responsible for somewhere around 80, 75 to 80% of your immune system, we want to keep that uh, gut as good in, as, in working order as possible. And so um, I asked my patients uh, to, uh, to refrain from eating uh, the grains. But for my vegetarians, they've got to have something that makes them feel full and gives them a little bit of protein. So I say that beans are good because they have a lot of fiber in them. And if they cook them correctly and they soak them overnight with a little bit of apple cider vinegar and water, it helps to break the phytic acid down in those beans, making them more digestible. Uh, if I tell my patients who are regular users of beans to get a pressure cooker so that they can deactivate the lectins. And then I tell them if they want to go a step further, since we're talking about sugar, is that for them not to eat the beans the day they cook them, but to put them in the refrigerator and let them, you know, be there overnight. And it, it creates what we call a resistant starch. And that resistant starch loses about 10% of its glucose. And so again, you can heat them up again, but they're never going to be to that boiling point where they're going to have the most amount of glucose in them. So then I say, okay, you could add them to a salad. You marry them to a very low sugar food. You wouldn't mm -hmm. want to put rice and beans together or rice and tortilla together if we're in treatment, right? If you're maintenance, then we can get away with having a little bit more carbohydrates. Uh, but like, let's just say one corn tortilla is 10 carbohydrates. One white tortilla is 20 carbohydrates. Half a cup of beans is 24 grams of carbohydrates, right? So again, oh, there we go. We add it up very, very quickly. And so our, my intent is to provide an alternative to whatever we take out. And this is why I like those uh, tortillas from that company called Siete, because they're coconut and almond, and they've got about three or four carbohydrates in it. So I could still put a little bit of beans on there, my avocados and things of that nature, and not go over the edge with that. Mm. Um, so, so I'd say beans with a lot of fiber are terrific. You know, anything that's just basically air, right? I'd say let's take that out, all these processed foods. Yeah. Uh, grains for now we'll take out. When we do bring uh, grains back in, I like to use millet because millet is alkaline in nature. Uh, it still has the same amount of sugar as brown rice or quinoa. But again, how do we use it? We use it very anecdotally. So when we start to introduce these things, we use them tablespoons at a time, literally. So I say, what is, how is the best way to use this? How is the best way to even use sweet potato? that's another one that I bring back in uh, because of the nutritional properties to these and they're alkaline in nature and they don't have the lectins like the other grains and so I say okay take that sweet potato or take that millet cook it and I take say take the sweet potato cut it in six pieces steam it rather than putting it in the oven so it doesn't create because the sweet potato has a natural sugar in it and with that and with that heavy heat in the oven it creates acrylamides which are carcinogenic in nature so I steam those have them steam those uh, and cut it into six pieces and and take two 
pieces off and then chop them up, throw them in your salad or, you know, into your stir fry. So you've got a taste and the texture of it all. So you don't have to give it up entirely, but we have to anecdotally utilize it. And so those are my two favorite, like if my patients are in a cachexia state, which means that they're um, basically, um, you know, breaking down their muscle tissue for survivability purposes, then I always say, you know, yes, we want to starve the cancer, but not at the patient's risk of starving them as mm-hmm. well. So there's that fine line. Um, when they go too low on their on the sugars, they start to to lose a lot of weight. And then if they have a diabetic issue, the the calories that their body's going to get first is the muscle. It's not going to go to the fat because their body doesn't know how to use fat for fuel when you're in a diabetic state. And so they oftentimes will start losing a tremendous amount of muscle, and I would call it muscle wasting. And then they get very weak uh, because your muscle is uh, you know responsible for the metabolism and how effective it's going to work and the amount of energy and so forth. And so um, I'll, those are the things that I'll bring back. I'll bring back sweet potato and just the way I said it in anecdotal amounts, I'll bring back millet. Let's add it to a nice salad that we make vegetarian with pine nuts and hemp seeds and little bits of, um, you know, other roasted vegetables. So again, you know, it's not that these foods are bad, Leanne, at all. It's mm-hmm. just that when we're in treatment, we really want to start paying attention to how much sugar does that food break down to and and be really mindful about it. Like when I go uh, to dinner, or what have you I'm kind of looking at the menu and and I'm, I want to I want to be in a more festive manner but I just say right away well I'm not going to eat that bread because one it's got gluten in it and you know I, I I'm, I'm not um, a real fan of gluten just because of the glyphosate and all of the uh, problems that you know we have with them spraying roundup on our grains so I rarely 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 eat it uh, and so you know, if you're already dismissing your bread, you're doing pretty good, right? Because they put that right in front of you first. And then if you just let them know at the end of the meal, no, I won't be having dessert, then you're not even going to get tempted behind it. But then you can kind of say, okay, well, you know, if I want to have, you know, that person over there is having, let's just say French fries. And I know I shouldn't be eating this because again, I look at French fries like a carcinogenic stick, honestly, because again, Think of it, if you got that potato fried in that hot oil, that's going to create a tremendous amount of acrylamides, which is very carcinogenic in nature. But again, face it, we are creatures of pleasure. And who's not going to want a French fry? It's got every orgasmic flavor you can have. It's got the crunchy, it's got the salt, it's got the smoothness, it's got everything to it, all right? Uh, And and I've been known to take French fries off people's plate. And, you know, having things once in a while is never going to be the problem. It's just that if I've got a diet of fast food and I have French fries two or three times, a week and I've got you know fried tortillas and I've got chips and all these things then that is when your body says wait a minute I don't even know what to do with these foods you know I've now stored them in as much fat cells as I can and so now I'm going to start storing them in areas that are going to give you problems in terms of your health and so um so again, what we want to you know really get across, it's not that uh, sugar is the preferred fuel for the brain and for the body, but it's the right sugar that we're looking for. It's those foods that are still in their natural state that, you know, if I take a, let's just say a, a, a melon, for example, and I put it in my hand and I crush it, there's nothing left in my hand, which means there's no fiber in it, which means again, it's not that it's even that much sugar. It's just going to go in so very, very, very quickly, right? Bring me up and to bring me down. Mm-hmm. But if I took an apple and I tried to squeeze it in my hand, there's, it would still be in my hand right because there's a lot of fiber in it so again you know uh you know what we really want is our patients to have that fiber we need somewhere around 35 or 40 grams of fiber a day we don't get this no wow. way okay no way, yeah. and um and so again if we eat salads twice a day and we eat you know uh, uh two or three cups 
two at least two cups of vegetables each time we eat then you know we're really getting uh, enough chlorophyll in our meals with that salad and then we're getting enough fiber with our foods and the enzymes because you know in salad you can have that's raw you can have all those beautiful enzymes um, I like a 50 50 split just for the digestive system you know some nice steamed vegetables over here and then a raw salad here and then your whatever protein you're choosing and so again um, pasture-raised meats uh, if you're using that and then wild-caught fish and then for the vegetarians we would use things like hemp seeds and we would use if they had no estrogenic issues we would, can use tempeh fermented tofu uh, beans uh, uh, protein powders things of that nature so uh, they can get their protein because oftentimes the, everything's from the carbohydrate kingdom right and they're having mm. their beans and their rice and their tortilla and they're having you know 60 grams of, of sugar at that meal and only 12 grams of protein well you know, there we go again that imbalance in the scale is what's the problem of you know what you were talking about irritability and mood swings and foggy thinking and shakiness and so again if we just kind of look at food as a chemistry equation right and this is what i teach my patients okay let's break it down I have a scale that tells me how many calories they burn. So based on that, I say, okay, 20% will be your protein. And depending on what kind of a treatment plan I'm giving them, if it's our, our, our cancer patients, I don't give them above 12%. If they're vegetarian, maybe 15% of their total calories in things that turn into sugar or carbohydrates. So again, it's really quite low so that we can actually be in a treatment mindset. But when you bring the sugar down, you can bring the fat up. Now, the problem with the cure in the United States is we have the sugar up and the fat up. Okay. So now we've got a big inflammatory problem, okay? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, our body uh, produces 80% of the cholesterol we have. So in all reality, we're only getting 20% from our food. You know, and I'm an advocate of a of a, what we would consider a clean, uh, uh, modified ketogenic diet. Um, uh, modified to the extent we don't need to be in ketosis all the time because that's not good for our, our endocrine system. Mm -hmm. And also, too, it doesn't allow enough variety, but it's really great when we're in a treatment mindset. It really gets us to where we want to go a lot faster. But when we get into a modified, it gives us a little bit more flexibility uh, to be able to have, you know, a lot more variety and eat things like, let's just say, beans and um you know keto treats and things of that nature because uh, you were talking about earlier is well what do we substitute with these sweet tooth and how do we get them from this you know roller coaster of going up and going down and so it's really interesting because within about i'd say uh 10 days of me putting people on a dietary uh, program they tell me they have no cravings mm -hmm. and that's beautiful because who wants to be ruled by your addiction right in all honesty uh, it, like we were talking earlier about the serotonin and the dopamine uh mindset that's a feel good well who doesn't want to feel good and so it's a placebo i have this it makes me feel good and then i'm stressed so and then i go to chips and you know salty crunchy foods because my adrenal glands need this and i'm feeling a little sorry for myself so then i want carbohydrates again so I, I tell my patients i say okay when you're reaching for something you know you shouldn't be having i want you to ask yourself where have i not met my personal needs today that I am reaching for this as my drug of choice, right? And so when you start to get in touch with, I'm not really even hungry, I'm bored. You know, I'm just, you know, perusing the kitchen and just happened to see those M&Ms, you know, in the, in the break room and just grabbed a handful just because I'm not even hungry. And so again, I, if you can identify, am I truly hungry with that gnawing sensation in the gut or am I emotionally hungry? And if I'm emotionally hungry, it doesn't matter how much food you're gonna eat, it's never gonna satisfy that one basic need of really saying, you know, how did I support myself today in a loving, kind manner? 
And so I teach them that, you know, mm. pay attention. You know, what is on your mind when you're reaching for these foods? And oftentimes they'll say, you're right. It's 100% right, you know. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, even with myself, I'll eat a meal, especially at lunchtime. But then, you know, because I've had, you know, the whole day of working and just kind of being stressed and things of that nature, my body's looking for that reward, okay. Now I've got all the sensations of a fabulous lunch that I bring, but you know what? It wants a little something else, right? Yeah. And so this is where we say, okay, what are we going to put in that little something else? Are we going to ha have a cookie? that has 20 carbohydrates in it or are we going to have something that will create the same stimulation to our brain and so a lot of times I tell my patients to get some um, lily stevia chips you know like the kind Ooh, that you yep. bake with mm -hmm. because 60 of them little teeny things but you know they're 60 of them are like like three carbohydrates and so you're not going to eat 60 of them but I say have a little handful of nuts even this is after your meal and like like say 10 or 12 or 15 of these little stevia chips and that immediately makes my brain go oh i'm so happy and in, in our clinic here we have those um uh, the hu bars right uh -huh. and those are fabulous and so it's a little protein bar and so again it's got about um maybe 14 grams of protein and let's just say uh 15 grams of carbohydrates or so not that many so i just say take a bite of that take half of that you know it adds a little bit of protein to your meal because so many people are devoid of having enough protein but it just gives you that little chocolate kind of hit to the brain that dopamine reward center and that's all we really need mm -hmm. so again it's we uh, have the mindset is not to be in a deprivation, but into allowing ourselves to have these emotional foods, but the right ones to give the sensation to the brain, but not the sugar load and creating more inflammatory problems. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. Now, do you notice a lot of patients have withdrawals when they first try to get off sugar? And if so, how can we yeah. sort of manage that a little bit? Uh, actually, that's interesting. They do have withdrawals and they get angry there they get really testy and so um so so what i try to get them to understand is two things okay one the sensory needs to be there in regards to what am i get, putting in its place okay we talked a little bit about the stevia chips we talked a little bit about the the hu bars right um and even little things like um a lozenge, like a little zinc lozenger that's got a little sweetness to it. It just makes the brain go, okay, I got what I need, but not that. So I also build uh, sweetness into their foods. So I say, okay, well, let's have a nice salad with a handful of blueberries in there with hemp seeds and pine nuts, and there's your lunch. We built it in. Okay, now let's have a salad with a little bit of carrot or beet in there. We built it in. So again, if you kind of would think on an Ayurvedic level, you want to have all of the senses stimulated, a little bit of sweet, a little pungent, a little bit of bitter, right? So again, if we build that in, the brain becomes satisfied. It's the emotional part of you, of the habitual, I need this, I need that reward kind of mindset. But interestingly enough, um, if you start to stabilize blood sugar, they don't have the cravings anymore. But if you can just say, okay, in between that time, let's do this. And one of the things we want to do is make sure that you eat every, let's just say, three and a half. To, if somebody has uh, severe diabetes, I would have them eat every about three and a half hours. When you eat a meal, your body's under the influence for about three hours. And during that time, there's no fat burning at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're not making ketones for energy for the brain or for the body. Then after about three hours when insulin is out of your blood, you get a signal and Graylin says, hey, you know what? It's time to go pick up some passengers. You know, we delivered everybody. Now let's go pick up some food. Right. And that's when you peruse the kitchen and that's when you're like looking for a snack. You're not really hungry for food, food because you just ate three hours ago, but you want to have a little something. It's kind of like passing a gas 
station and going, hey, don't you want to top off? You're going for a long drive here. And so this is where I tell my patients, let's, instead of having a carbohydrate, instead of grabbing a piece of fruit, which so many people do, because it's easily accessed, or a bag of chips, I say, let's have a handful of fat, like 10 or 12 macadamia nuts. How about even a half of an avocado with a little bit of lemon and salt in there? How about a cup of tea with a little bit of cream in it? Mm. So what I recommend to my patients in between their meals where they feel hungry and they want to have something, let's do a fat snack. The fat doesn't utilize insulin because it's liposomal in nature. So then I can still utilize my fat for fuel in between my meals. So I tell my patients, you know, let's go and uh, have, well, we can have three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or two, depending on your age, right? Uh, but in between, instead of having these snacks, let's have a fat snack. And definitely don't have a snack before you go to sleep because mm -hmm. you need at least a three hour window between uh, the time you sleep and 10 o'clock at night when your body goes into utilizing that stored fat and the stored glucose for repair at night. But if you eat a, a snack like a banana before you go to sleep or you wake up in the middle of the night and you and you eat something because your blood sugar is dropping down, it immediately stops your ability to burn fat for fuel. And so again, when we're asleep, what are we using for energy? We're using that fat. Mm. So if I can't burn fat, what am I going to burn? I'm going to burn my muscle. Wow. Okay. And this is why you see a lot of times with people who are diabetic, they have very skinny legs, but they've got a very big belly because their body is using their muscle instead of their fat for fuel while they're in repair and in detoxification mode. So for example, you, 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 you mentioned how can we can enjoy a sweet treat. Okay. And so I'm all about, um, really, um, creating rituals with foods okay meaning that we should we break bread with each other people we love that there should always be a little bit of treat at the end when you're having a social event now do we need to have it every single day no but when we have a social event or it's holidays are coming up right and this is why i did that video on some pumpkin muffins that are three carbohydrates right and on some chocolate covered pecans and uh, some cashews because these are these are beautiful keto treats that you can bring to the office to share with people and uh, but at the same time um i love baking and so again i will use the monk fruit i will use the coconut and almond flour so to have these little things that even in the freezer so they're not that accessible mm -hmm. right it takes a few minutes to thaw them out so again i say the fat bombs and the little keto cookies keep them in the freezer and then you know that way you can kind of dole them out to yourself and even though they're three carbohydrates you know you can get into the mindset oh let me just have one all the time then you get into that addictive i need something and when that something that is good is not there you're going to go for something that's not so good because you've got a habitual issue behind it mm -hmm. so i think it's very important to be uh, build sweets into your meal as far as you know the carrots and beets and things of that nature a little butternut squash but then also to have a treat around especially for the kids we we're talking about trick-or-treating right and unfortunately i would probably say with covid trick-or-treating is not a, a, a possibility so i said well how about we create these little snack packs and you have 12 of your friends do keto cookies you know that way at the end of the night, you've got 12 different types of cookies that you can have for the whole week for the kids and enjoy them yourself. But you do a drive through Halloween, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you kind of organize it and make it fun and all this kind of stuff. So there's always ways to keep our, 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 our ritual about these things and still get our treats in there, but in a way that's not going to cause our kids to be all ADD'd out and all cranky at the end of the night because they're all sugar high and we can't get them to go to sleep. 
Um, I remember when I used to trick-or-treat, I would take a pillowcase and go trick-or-treating, right? Yeah. And so oh, it was yeah. like, fill those pillowcases up, right? And when we were younger, nobody had any kind of, uh, you know, uh, guidelines on how much we could eat, you know? So we might have eaten, you know, all those candies in that in that pillowcase in four days, right? But bouncing kids, imagine my parents had, you know, 11 children. Oh, and so again, you know, we don't need to do that with our kids. We're a lot more intelligent in regards of what sugar actually does uh, to our body and for a little teeny brain like that it's like okay you want to give that kind of cocaine heroin hit to your child so that they become addicted and all they want to eat is goldfish and macaroni and cheese that's not going to be healthy right and you say oh well, they'll grow out of it yeah well they're also going to that the body that they're having now is going to be the adult they have later right yeah for me i i have just found that i need to just not have anything in the house that is bad for me yeah and, you know like just so truly bad for me like the sugar-filled bar of chocolate or candy of any kind ice cream i don't keep it in the house that way if i do have an emotional craving for it i just can't get it easily i'm gonna have to go to the store to get something and nine out of ten times i'm like no it's not worth it i don't actually want it that bad no it's so true and you know um that's great right and because in my house i don't have hardly any treats either and so i have to make an effort to make them when people come over right and then i try to get rid of them as soon as possible yeah. my husband's always like hey what, what what happened and i'm like oh i took them to the office i gave them to my daughter i handed them out here uh, because yeah, it doesn't matter. They are addictive, keto or not. It's like mm -hmm. had one and you're like th thinking about, oh, that pumpkin muffin I could have, you know. And so again, it has a voice. And if it's in your cupboard, it will call your name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the two things I wanted to point out was number one, I love how you say nature doesn't like a void. And I love that you're always like, if I'm going to ask you to remove something, I'm going to give you something to replace it with. And so that's, there are so many recipes online now for keto this, keto that, yeah. things that are really, you know, delicious and satisfying that aren't going to just create a whole spiral within our bodies, which I absolutely love that. And then number two is no matter what, we could be eating the most nutritious diet ever, but if we never address the emotional component of eating, we still might have some of those cravings during, uh, an anxiety attack or during a moment when we're particularly stressful and so that's sort of the other piece of it is we can have the most perfect diet but that emotional side might still come up now and then and we just need to be ready for it and understand that that's what it is this craving isn't physical it's emotional right and you know we, unfortunately we've maladapted to the lifestyle we have i mean you know a lot of people you know have sleep issues i would say 70 percent of the population and why because they're overstimulated by the blue lights of their computers their mm -hmm. cell phones all of the you know this electromagnetic field and so we're really living uh in a state where we're not getting enough rest and recovery and then on top of it you are flooding the body with this excess amount of sugar that's shrinking your brain creating you know triglycerides in your blood creating excess of weight gain so all of these are when in excess creates these problems and we started off saying that sugar is not bad if it comes in its natural state in a dosing size that the body can have mm -hmm. you know right now the average person is consuming 70 grams of sugar a day oh, 70 wow. remember we started at the beginning saying 4.9 was what they had in the 1700s okay so this is ridiculous 
but you know we're the bigger better gulp here and so more is better but in reality when it comes to sugar it's absolutely not Mm -hmm. wow and then i did want to touch on any perfectly healthy products that we have here that you find are particularly helpful for individuals who are trying to curb sugar cravings or trying to balance blood sugar if we had any that are helpful or that you find your patients really respond well to well yeah we've got you know our goal obviously is to uh, as best as we can is to get people off of their medication i mean if we have to use metformin we do and oftentimes with cancer patients it's necessary because it's part of the treatment protocol um but we have a lot of natural products and uh, dr keneally actually formulates one uh, from the perfectly healthy store in regards of the um, the four sugar uh, um, uh, product that we have, which is great. It's going to have things like lipoic acid. It's going to have um, chromium, picolinate, cinnamon, give me Sylvester, things of that nature that all support the cells to allow that glucose to enter the cell wall. Chromium picolinate is one really good one that you can have, let's just say between six and 800 milligrams a day that will also support glucose levels. You can also use L-carnitine just to help to transport fats across the cell wall just to give you that extra energy so that you're not always kind of craving for things to give you energy and then um and then of course uh we have a a variety uh, as i said of different products that we can use to stabilize blood sugar rather than using metformin and so um there's a lot of things that we can do alternative to medication uh, and we have what's called a biofeedback device and so what i do is when i see patients that have uh, issues in regards of their lab work is I'll just scan them very quickly. It's it's it, it's like muscle testing, but on steroids, right? Mm-hmm. Have them put their hand on a cradle, and very quickly I can see, you know, in our collection of things that we would use for stabilizing glucose levels, uh, to see which one that they 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 trigger for. And it's just like muscle testing. If you held a product and you muscle test them, if they went strong or weak on it, so very quickly, you know, I can identify which product that their body resonated with. And I like to do that that rather than mm. guessing and saying okay let's try this one for sugar now the next time i'm going to try chromium let's just see what the body says first and then we start off knowing that um that's going to be a, a, an acceptable product just like when we do the rggc it's all about what ca- what it's going to help your body get rid of cancer and it's very specific about what supplements to use as well mm. so it's always great to have that information yeah everything here at the center is so personalized and comes from a place of what does your body need and while there are general things that are great for most people i love that every practitioner here is really looking at the chemistry and the biology of each individual patient and really creating programs that are so incredibly personalized yeah that's what's important because we're all uh uniquely us right and what works for one person this is why when people come they get so confused oh gosh you know they've read you know this diet that diet low sugar high sugar vegan raw crisp beets cancer this that so again they're very confused and so the first thing i try to do is meet patients to where, where they're at what we call philosophically if some our parent our patients are very educated right they come to us uh oftentimes in the later states of their condition and they've tried traditional uh you know allopathic medicine so now they're looking for a more alternative way so they're very sophisticated in regards of their understanding of what we do here and so um you know what worked for someone else you know in the research may not work for their cancer or for or or for their issue right 
And so um, I always say you are a personal experiment, okay? And so even what I'm asking or, or sharing with you, uh, I want feedback because, you know, in a couple of weeks from now, um, you're going to give me some feedback. How are you doing? How's your, how's your energy? How's your bowel movements? Um, how's your sleep? How's your level of hunger? And all this information is invaluable for me to be able to tweak them in regards of how we can make a more comfortable transition into a lifestyle. People often will ask me, well, how long do I have to do this? And I said, well, honestly, if it gets you well and gets you out uh, and over the hump into vitality and wellness, wouldn't it be a good idea to stay swimming in the same river, mm-hmm. right? Let's float in that river rather than, you know, go off on these tangents that end up right back in an inflammatory state again. Uh, we don't have to be as rigid when we're in uh, a, a, what we call a maintenance phase. We can add back that yam. We can add back that millet. We can add back, you know, uh, um, basmati white rice, you know, things of that nature in small dosing amounts because in all reality, as we said before, um, you know, a, a half a cup of, of, of rice is 27 grams of sugar. Well, that's perfectly great for a woman or a man um, who doesn't have any issues, right? That's exactly what a woman should have is somewhere around 28 grams of carbohydrates per meal, right? And oftentimes, you know, we have 45 a day only when it comes to treatment. So when you get into a maintenance phase, it's a whole different kind of ball game in regards of the change of the macronutrients, but it's not so much a change in the foods we choose, only we invite others to come into our our, 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 our arena in terms of our plate, right? Uh, but again, uh, not on a everyday kind of a situation. Mm-hmm. And do you have, this is a question that just occurred to me, for patients who are saying, you know, my family's not going to support this, they're going to give me such a hard time, what do you tell patients who are in that place? Right. That's a really good question because that happens a lot, to be quite honest with you. And this is a challenge. And so um, two things is that it's really important for uh, the family environment to be supportive of anybody who's in a treatment, especially when it comes to cancer because they need to create a healing environment in the home. And that means also being as supportive as you can uh, to the person that you love in regards to the foods that they eat. So uh, it's often that I hear patients, you know, especially in the beginning, oh, I'm gonna eat exactly like them. This is gonna be great for me too. And then after a couple of months, they kind of fallen off and they're eating ice cream in front of them mm-hmm. and they're eating, you know, a donut and things of that nature. And then the patient feels hurt and feels very sensitive about this because they feel that, wow, you know, you were doing so great and and everything was great. Now you're eating this and now I'm tempted and now I'm having a little bite of this and I shouldn't do that. And then they start blaming the other person. And so again, you know, what I tell patients to say is, is it, um, they don't have to eat the way you eat, but this is a very healthy way to eat, regardless if you had any problem whatsoever, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, If you're growing and you're in reproductive state, you're going to need, you know, 30% 30% protein rather than 20. Uh, you're going to need uh, 20% carbohydrates rather than 12, right? And so again, um, you know, I, I, try to ta- I try to counsel the whole family, mm-hmm. you know, bring them all in here, even the children, and, and, and really enroll them into a healthy lifestyle uh, for their own uh, prevention of situations that could occur to them. But when that happens, I give them um, 
different uh, resources like okay well my daughter for example she cooks for our cancer patient on Lisa and so they can order food and so it makes it so very simple right it gets delivered to the clinic and um, they can take their little packaged food that way they can eat something absolutely super delicious but very keto style and their family can eat that but I always tell the patient make your salad and your vegetables and your protein and if they want to have an addition like let's say rice or pasta or potato or what have you and they don't really want to have cauliflower rice and they don't want to have cauliflower mashed potato and things of that nature is then make one thing for them but make enough of everything else that you're perfectly happy and satisfied and interestingly enough is people don't really distinguish that much like for example i've made cauliflower mashed potatoes for people they don't know the difference okay <laughs> they're like these potatoes are so awesome you know because i got a beautiful mushroom gravy over it right and i'm like you know looking at my husband it's like, don't say anything right <laughs> and um and one time I said something, right? They go, I hate cauliflower, right? And I'm like, well, that's what you're eating right now. <laughs> so you can turn a lookalike into pretty much anything that you have an emotional desire for. I've, I think I've mastered that to some degree. And what I don't know, I just get online and I say, you know, put the word keto. Keto means no flour, you know, as far as grains and no sugar, but it doesn't mean no cheese, right? And no <laughs> bad fat. So since we are all about not, you know, anti-inflammatory, I don't have them have bacon or bad fats or bad oils or fried foods. Um, we're very, very, very particular about the fats that we recommend to our patients that are using usable fats. And so, um, yeah, so again, if we can, if they can give them a resource, this is where you can get your meals. These are, you know, uh, if you just try one re a new recipe a week, just one, you might have four by the end of the month because there's many patients that just don't like cooking. Mm -hmm. In fact, they say, I've retired. I, I, you know, I cooked all my life for my kids and, you know, now I retired from my home. I retired from the kitchen. I said, well, then how do you eat? Well, we go out to eat a lot, right? And of course, you know, you're not going to have the love that you would put into your food. You're not going to know what ingredients as far as the quality of the food. And all that matters when you're healing. It all matters. And so um, I, uh, even though they don't have a passion for it, I try to inspire in them some spark that it's funny because they always come back and they always say, you know, I tried that recipe you gave me. It was pretty good. And my husband really liked it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then if we can kind of just start doing little things like that, like if I, you can make a rice, you can do half rice and half cauliflower rice and you still got the texture of that. You can throw a few little baby red potatoes into your cauliflower mashed potatoes and it tastes the texture. Kids won't notice. Mm -hmm. So you can already start reducing the sugar load by just substituting other things into the real thing and then bringing the the load down and that's what I do a lot. Wow. Well, Liliana, thank you so much. This has been such an amazing interview and I'll make sure that we link, you know, many of your references and your sources and of course all of the products that you mentioned throughout this interview. I know that our patients as well as whoever else is listening to this is going to find it so helpful. Okay. Well, thank you for inviting me and um you know, it's just always wonderful to be able to share my passion uh, with everybody out there who's willing to listen and to be inspired today.